This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The first time I heard the legend of the mad hangman was from another inmate in our prison. He told me that there was a man with the ability to ward off death, that he was immortal. At first, I thought it was a comforting fable for people who were about to be executed, but then I heard it from other places. His name was August Atherstone, a master executioner in Britain in the 1800s. Oh, he hanged a countless number of criminals. There were rumors that the only way August could get so effective at killing was that he performed unofficial executions, favors for prisons who quickly wanted rid of an inmate. August said that he had seen reflections of the afterlife and dead eyes so many times that death and life became one. He was death's messenger, and through this, entered into a pact with death himself. Some people say he was afflicted with eternal life. Some say death rewarded him. He walks the earth now, waiting by the graves of his loved ones for death to finally come for him, but he never does. They say that some cults worship August as a god. They offer him sacrifices so that they too can live forever. I tried to find them, but I couldn't, and that's why I ended up here. The legend of the mad hangman pieced together by various letters found in an abandoned apartment. Death himself is a mystery, the milestone to which we measure life. We wait for him like we await an old friend, often attempting to delay his intervention, but never to defy him entirely. He was my obsession. I longed to see the world through death's gaze and by the time monotony and routine had become the foundations of my existence, I had learned that life held no discernible meaning. Death would come for me, and I would be a name carved into stone, long forgotten before high winds prevented graveyard visits and overgrown wilderness masked the details of the dead on my colorless headstone. Through some divine inspiration, perhaps driven by the stale nothingness of reality. I unknowingly embarked upon a journey into the realms of the unreal. I began contacting murderers, serial killers, terrorists, cult followers, cult leaders, mental patients, grave robbers, necrophiliacs, cannibals, any type of deranged mind I could locate the whereabouts of. Within a few months, I had contacted notorious inmates such as John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy. 
It seems that I had a natural talent for eliciting a response from such people. I would study their victimology and work backwards, often posing as a woman or a gay man or a devotee of their interpretation of art. On the night Ted wrote his last letter to me, he had signed off with, Your friend, and it was no coincidence that he was executed the following morning. I always found it humorous how the prospect of death reveals true intentions, even from someone as experienced in the art of death as Ted was. My interest in high-profile killers began to wane, as their stories were often elaborated to the point of fiction. My concern, then, moved on to lesser-known evil, the nameless occult killer haunting the back streets of small towns, the curious Satanist eager to offer his new god-deity his first sacrifice. After all, if I was to unlock the secrets of death, would I not find it veiled in the unattainable depths of morbid psyche? What became clear through my correspondence was that although serial killers were the most egotistical people alive, they held a secret admiration for each other's work, an admiration which existed only in the murderer's collective conscience, never to be spoken of. It was not uncommon for me to play the part of the middleman, passing messages between psychopaths across the country. It was through this that I learned the legend of the August Aetherstone, the mad hangman, and his pact with death himself. Whenever a serial killer with occult connections was incarcerated, several murderers would try to contact them, and the subject of the mad hangman seldom arose. Occasionally, I would be asked if I could contact certain people who I wasn't familiar with. It was rare that this happened, but one name in particular kept arising. Baron. I had uncovered no details regarding such a person, but I was assured he existed. Robin Gecht informed me that Baron was an unstoppable, merciless killing machine driven by ritualistic delusions. Rod Farrell was certain he had met Baron before, and that he was somehow affiliated with the cult which worships the Mad Hangman. Months of searching for this mysterious inmate yielded no results, until I received a letter from a cannibal in Britain. He's here. There's a cell in the basement we call the throne room, because it's just a chair and nothing else. Some of the guards organize fights between inmates down there, and a couple of guys claim to have seen an unknown prisoner in the throne room. I've overheard conversations between guards. He's painted the walls with his own blood. His mouth has been sewn shut. He wears a mask. He's been eating rats. I sometimes hear sounds coming from a cell. It isn't screaming or shouting or any of the shit you usually hear in prisons at night. The noises coming from down there are not human. I know from experience that he won't be around for long. I've heard that the guards have been told to get rid of him. They will unofficially execute him. August Aetherstone style. If you want to see Baron, get here quick. Stephen G., inmate number 364. Wakefield Prison, Monster Mansion.
I made arrangements to travel to Wakefield, not hesitating to leave routine and monotony behind. Standing in front of the monster mansion itself, its gigantic stone walls cast a shadow on the sleepy town beneath. Cold January rain beat against the arched gates which slowly opened to reveal a gothic palace housing the most deranged criminals in England. I have a visit scheduled to see Stephen Griffiths, inmate number 364, I told the guard who escorted me to our allocated room. I'll be supervising your meeting with Mr. Griffiths, said the guard. He tied back his long hair with a hairband from his wrist and straightened his uniform. It's for your own safety, and to make sure nothing is given or exchanged. Do you understand? I agreed to the protocol and soon found myself sitting face to face with Stephen, a psychopathic cannibal lusting for infamy. His shackled hands rested on his lap, and his gaze was primarily focused on the table between us. We made small talk, such as how I was finding my stay in England and what I did for work. Stephen's crimes did not interest me in the slightest, nor did his life story. I had begun a regular correspondence with Stephen, so that my motives for entering Wakefield Prison would not be questioned. I suspected Stephen knew my true agenda, but who was he to reject friendship? When I finally asked Stephen about what I needed to know, Baron's whereabouts, his eyes met mine for the first time. Before Stephen could speak, however, the prison guard promptly intervened. Visiting time is up, he said, and ushered in another prison warden to escort Stephen back to his cell. I had anticipated that this would be the case, and somehow needed to prolong my stay at the prison. The same guard forcefully ushered me out of the room and back into the courtyard. Please follow me, sir, he said, walking in the opposite direction of the arched gates I entered from. The exit is this way. I followed him across the empty courtyard, my visibility reduced by the standard-issue English weather. We passed between two stone pillars, bearing plaques honoring the architects who built Wakefield Prison. We passed through a picturesque scenic garden, decorated with benches and rose bushes. Despite its beauty, the place seemed more barren with every step we took. We eventually arrived at a spiraling concrete staircase leading down seemingly to the bottom of the world and it wasn't until then that I realized where I was being led. The guard was not leading me to the exit. He was leading to me where I wanted to go. His silence and blank stare told me all I need to know. He was one of us, a follower of the macabre, a seeker of death. Not a word was spoken between me and the guard, but like serial killers before us, we upheld a mutual, silent admiration. At the bottom of the staircase, the guard unlocked a steel security door, which opened into a dimly lit corridor. Once the scent of damp stone had subsided, I followed him through a narrow tunnel, illuminated only by a single bulb in the distance. For the first time in my life, excitement coursed through my veins. It felt as though I was walking into the mouth of hell, 
and I didn't care if I made it out alive. This was the closest I had come to death's realm since I first contacted John Wayne Gacy, and those letters seemed like child's play in comparison. Death had visited here. This I was certain of. At the end of the corridor it stood, the throne room in the flesh, just as Stephen had described in his letter. Albeit with one minor difference, the cell bore no prisoner. It was simply an empty chair, camouflaged against the grey stone wall behind. I'm sorry to disappoint, said the guard, finally breaking the silence. But Baron is no longer kept here. He was coerced into a fight to the death with another inmate just yesterday. If the rumors are to be believed. He's dead? I asked. Yes, or so I'm told. I didn't witness it myself, although I had bet a lot of money on Baron to win. Such a shame. Well, why the hell would you do that? I asked. There's no death penalty in England, you see. So, we had to find ways of keeping the prison population down. The official report will say that a fight broke out, resulting in the death of an inmate. No one really bats an eyelid when a criminal dies. Can you tell me anything about him? I asked. Did you talk to him? Do you know about his crimes? I can't divulge any secrets. Besides, he didn't say much. His lips were always sealed. His possessions are still in the cell if you'd like to take a look. Just don't take anything. The posthumous items adorning the floor of Baron's cell would be priceless to some of the deranged collectors I had come to know. A detailed sketch of a public execution with a sharply dressed hangman holding a scythe. A masked man sitting atop a tombstone. Two crows encircling an empty grave. The only other item in the cell was a pack of playing cards, missing every card but one. And the card in particular was the Jack of Hearts, and something had been hastily scribbled on the back. 355 Churchfield Terrace WF64QZ An address. I slipped the card into my pocket when the guard was unaware. I thanked him for his time and asked him to show me the real exit. Gray skies sat in overhead as I took shelter from the rain in the doorway of Wakefield Library. My taxi arrived, ten minutes late, and took me towards my next destination. That's a ways away, the driver said. Be about an hour. He was not wrong. The journey was made more treacherous by the sterility of the vast Wakefield countryside. Endless acres of woodland, with only hints of blackened skies visible through impossibly high trees. My drop-off destination was what seemed to be in the middle of a marsh. No distinguishable path led the way and all signs of urban life had long been depleted. Here? I asked. No, not here, dummy, the driver said. This is as far as I could go without driving into a bog. Keep walking that way, he said, pointing into the black expanse of trees. Should come to a few houses eventually. 
some right weirdos living around here. I followed his instructions as he drove away, and I struggled my way across dead wildlife and broken tree branches, eventually arriving at remote territory resembling a domestic residence. It was more of an abandoned farm, but the worn plaque on the broken gate told me that this was 335. Exactly what I would be greeted with, well, I was unsure. All I knew was that the Baron had brought me here. Overgrown grass and weeds led a makeshift path to the front door of the house, which, despite knocking on for several minutes, no one answered. I edged around the side of the house, eventually stumbling upon a small window. A dim light flickered off the reflection of the glass, allowing me to make out a handful of details inside. A trophy cabinet. A white leather robe hanging from a wall. A painting of a tentacled eyeball. I knew you'd come, said a hushed voice behind me. I turned around, ready to run. I just needed to know you'd take the initiative. A familiar silhouette appeared from the shadows. Waist-length black hair, no longer tied back. My apologies for not being honest with you earlier. You see, I couldn't risk our conversation being overheard. I planted that address in Baron's cell. My address. I needed you to come here. This is your house. Correct, he said. I'll explain everything soon, and I assure you you're no danger. Would you follow me, please? The prison guard or who at least I believed to be just a prison guard, led me into his decayed farmhouse. Each room was more decrepit than the last, some of them barely held together by loose wooden panels. One of the rooms had a semblance of order, perhaps a living room, since lost to domestic neglect. A corridor led to what I assumed to be the room I had stared in from outside the house. The entranceway appeared different to the rest. It had been cared for. It boasted three steel padlocks and was made of corrugated iron. Very few people have ever stepped foot into this room, or even laid eyes on it. Please, do not touch anything. The iron door took an age to swing open. Orange light from bare bulbs illuminated the rectangular room, showcasing wall-to-wall -wall glass cabinets. Headless mannequins adorned the corners of the room, decorated in clothing from a previous age. Bizarre paintings of otherworldly demons hung in black frames. I've read all of your letters, the guard said. Your preoccupation with death goes beyond obsession to the point where you're willing to travel blindly in the vain hope you might uncover something the rest of the world doesn't know. I walked up to the first glass cabinet, unsure where to look first. I know this, he continued, because I'm the same. Every item in this room has, at some point, passed through the hands of death himself. All the artwork you see has painted by murderers, serial killers, sometimes with their own blood. The offspring of demented creativity 
and the paintbrush. I own genuine torture devices used centuries ago in public executions. I am in possession of the bones of the most deformed man to have ever lived, who was hanged from a tree as he was thought to be the adversary of God. I own occult artifacts, murder weapons, and a piece of skin said to be torn from the devil himself. He walked towards a mannequin wearing a white mask and a frayed leather robe. In front of the mannequin stood an empty altar. A visual, straight from the scene of a cult sacrifice, albeit its human elements replaced with lifeless ornaments. This is my collection. This is my obsession. All I'm missing is the ultimate item. His eyes glanced towards the empty altar and took a breath to indicate that the piece was not wholly complete. That something should be perched atop some priceless tome or grimoire. Which is, I asked, please step this way. I have a surprise for you. A door, camouflaged between two glass trophy cases, became apparent when the guard placed his hand on the gold doorknob. He opened the door outward and proudly stepped back, as if revealing a master painting he had spent his life creating. It appeared to be a storage room, perhaps for items deemed not important enough for viewing privileges in the guard's personal museum of the dead. Yet, not. A sudden influx of shock blinded my rationality. How long have I remained silent for? I will never know, but between breaths, I eventually managed to ask the question. Who is that? I needed not to wait for his answer. A man, bound with rope and chains, sat in a chair, unconscious. Any other time, I would not have recognized him. His pale features and thin blonde hair, uncut for decades, resembled no one I had seen before. My realization came when the prisoner's head lulled to the side, revealing lips which had been somehow torn to pieces. His mouth had swelled to twice its normal size, and his lips pulsated with holes and fresh scars anew. I apologize for showing him to you in such horrific appearance, said the guard. His lips had been sewn shut for years. I'm no surgeon. I couldn't help the trauma. For the first time, I felt that maybe I had come too close to death. Maybe this was some kind of error, and death was not my reason or my obsession. Maybe something else entirely. Literature, painting, poetry. Maybe I could take solace from the medium where death was not immediate, not presented within touching distance inside a glass case. Uh, please explain, I said. I don't know if I want any part of this. Being in the inner circle in the prison system gives me access to the information I need. The amount of inmates who pass through us without the public's knowledge is immense. From there, I can locate the killers who interest me and be the first to get a hold of their possessions. I convinced the courts to send Baron to Wakefield so that we could keep him hidden in the throne room. Most prisons are reluctant to take the high-profile inmates because it's not worth the hassle. 
so the courts were glad to send him to us. High profile, I ask. No one knows who he is. Well, because we managed to keep his whereabouts a secret. Regardless, our instructions were simple. Keep him hidden from public. Starve him to death. Then claim it was self-inflicted. But last week, the instructions from the courts changed. Kill him immediately. The authorities had unearthed more of his victims, and they found a word carved into their skins. Nahil. Which means... Well, this isn't the first case we've heard of this word being carved into victims' flesh. The problem is, it's been occurring all over the country. Different victim types, different methods of body disposal. At first, it was assumed to be some sort of underground trend. Maybe killers were somehow contacting each other, and this was their way of showing off. Thinking back through my correspondence with inmates, the world had made vague appearances in the sign-offs of some of the lesser-known murderers, often those with connections to the occult or Satanism. I assumed it to be a farewell of those initiated into death's circle. It took me three days, but I finally got Baron to speak. Everyone who knows about him believes he's dead, so I could do what I wanted to him. The guard cast a maniacal glance towards Baron's shattered ankles. What little consequence was threatened as a result of his torture had manifested itself into a violent interrogation. The guard did not strike me as psychotic, merely motivated by desperation at a rarer-than-rare opportunity. I needed to know about Nihil, about what it meant. But what he told me was a lot more interesting. The guard leaned down and spoke to Baron's swaying head. Tell him what you told me. About the executioner. A soft voice eventually began to speak, slowly, as if narrating a story he had told a thousand times. His arms and legs still shackled, his body leaning forward as if independent from his thoughts. He recanted the tale of the mad hangman, applying details of the story lost during its telling through the ages. Night turned to morning, and myth became reality. I left the guard's house in the early hours, coming ever so closer to a chance meeting with death. The guard financed me considerably. Money was no object to him, or so it seemed. Or at the very least, he was willing to part with a generous sum of money, for what he deemed the ultimate item. August documented everything he knew about death in his journal, a book unblocking the secrets of existence. It's in possession of a cult who worshipped August as a god, and his book of death as their bible, a cult I was part of. They have used it to enter the realm of immortality. Baron was certain he knew the whereabouts of the book, and even claimed to have seen it himself. I followed his directions to the letter, taking the westbound train out of Reddick, until it came to a stop in the tunnel while the tracks changed. 
I exited the train through a window and hid in the tunnel until I could safely move. I followed the tracks out into the ensuing greenery and into a backdoor town called Logslow. What windows were not whitewashed were boarded up, and gray tint illuminated every building and path. After asking multiple Logslow residents for directions, and them denying its existence, I eventually found what Baron had assured me was August's eternal home, Logslow Cemetery. I waited until dusk and scaled the cemetery walls. The gigantic bolted gates showed no sign of allowing visitors. Nervous adrenaline propelled me into the waist-high grass from a top wall, barely checking for any dangers below me. The graveyard was a forgotten sanctuary, unspoiled by human hands for decades. The dead here were calm, almost certainly. I waded through the tall grass across frozen mud until I discovered the tombstone I was searching for. A blind angel atop a black headstone, the resting place of August Aetherstone's wife. In Baron's version of events, August came to this grave after madness had claimed him. Unable to cope with the grief of seeing his loved ones pass away, he attempted to dig up the remains of his deceased lover. When he failed, he simply sat in this graveyard waiting for death to take him. But death never came. I followed a dirt trail from the blind angel grave to a nameless mausoleum, paying an unsung tribute to the dead. The tomb leads below the graveyard, a private burial ground. It's where they buried the men that August hanged. What you are searching for is down there. I followed a spiraling path into blackness, keeping my body against the wall. The shuffling sounds I heard as I ventured further in were attributed to vermin and large insects. I continued down, trying not to avert my eyes toward the few creatures which grazed my neck and hands. Follow along the left-hand wall all the way down. There's a gap when you think you've come to the end. Get through it. It's in that room. Take matches. There are torches along the walls you can light. I struggled through the gap, barely wide enough to pass through a child. I felt along the walls and came to the first lamp, which lit without issue. I welcomed the sudden influx of light, he offering a secondary comfort. I lit as many torches as I could find, and came to realize that the burial chamber I stood in was colossal perhaps stretching the entire terrain of the graveyard above. Each lamp I lit exposed another until the whole room shone with a radiant orange flame. It took me several minutes of stunned silence to overcome the beauty before me. The room's perfect architecture, its macabre decorations of bone and flesh. Coffins lined the floors, Carcasses lay draped across detached headstones. Decomposed bodies hung from the walls and mimic execution. A nightmarish tribute to the legend of the mad hangman. It became clear why the entrance to this room was a single rupture in stone. The room had been sealed off. 
This crypt was intended to be inaccessible, yet it had been breached. Sanctuary was not to be found here. A sense of intrusion befell me, and looking back, I vaguely made out a silhouetted figure between the two lamps, watching me from behind the ruptured entryway. He did not move as I backed away. My senses told me to sprint, and I ran. Far back into the catacombs beyond the reach of light. I trampled bones and tripped over corpses in my haste, but didn't once slow down. Footsteps followed behind me. Slow, innocuous footsteps, cementing my fear that somewhere in this crypt, I would reach an end. I found a darkened corner and hid, perhaps awaiting my demise. Why now? Why, when I was so close to my answer to death's enigma? I waited, breathing in damp air and the scent of putrid decay. I waited hours, possibly days, I'll never know. My senses were rendered absent by fear and obscurity. My body failed me. It wasn't until the unlit torch I leaned against brightened, and I was greeted face to face with an entity. A lifeless figure devoid of shape. A deformed mass of hanging cloth. His face concealed with a white mask. He said nothing and stared at me with vacant eyes. He was not alone. Behind me, replicas of the bizarre man appeared, all wearing identical robes and masks. I was terrified. The cultists held me against the cold stone floor. I protested my innocence that Baron had sent me here. He had told me all about the Naho cult. He had told me about their devotion to death, and that August was their god. He told me that they kill as followers so that each cultist can live in a world between worlds, in death's realm. Sacrifices to their god meant eternal life, and eternal life meant immortality. My final vision was of an execution. The colossal burial chamber was my courtroom, and hordes of death-worshipping cultists my jury. I pleaded with them to spare my life, at first with declarations of my acquaintance with Baron, and secondly, that I was only there to retrieve the book for a collector. Baron failed his initiation. He is to be removed from paradise. The speaker, August. The hangman himself, passing judgment from atop a magnificent throne of human heads. His voice low yet piercing his features barely visible through withered skin. And the book, the most treasured item in existence. The book is what keeps people searching. The book is the whispers of the condemned and children's fears embodied. This so-called book of death does not exist. A myth created to bring people like you to us. And with these words, consciousness faded. An afterlife called out to me. I awoke in the same crypt I had died. August's throne sat empty. 
The gallows in which I drew my last breath announced no successful execution. Chamber lay desolate, no cultists in sight. I searched the cavern, hoping to find something which could explain recent events. I made my way out of the unending burial chamber and back into the graveyard, and what I saw was not a world I recognized. At the center of the cemetery was a gallows, already with a condemned prisoner attached to a rope. A smartly dressed hangman dropped him to his death to the applause of a thousand strong audience baying for his blood. I watched his lifeless body be removed, and the rope be cut up and passed to audience members, craving a token of death. I now realize why August informed me that the book was merely a myth. In life, yes, it exists to lure death worshippers to the burial chambers of a living death god. For sacrifice? Perhaps. But I now realize that I was not executed. I was initiated. I now see the world as I saw it before, but with remnants of death haunting every avenue. Along every road, and on every street corner, murder victims replay their dying moments. Severed heads decorate barbed wire fences, and streets are awash with the wreckages of fatal accidents and bloodshed. This was not an afterlife. Yet it was. It was neither hell nor heaven, but somewhere between. A private purgatory. A paradise in black and gray. This was death's realm, reserved for the chosen few who seeked him. I returned to Wakefield. The guard waited for me to return with his ultimate relic, but I never did. I found it amusing to watch his sanity gradually slip. I eventually killed him, along with Baron. The guard's occult collection proved useful in locating further devotees of death, cementing my position as a member of the Nile cult. I was assured that neither Baron nor the guard would be granted access to Nihil. They would simply pass out of existence, never to lust or desire again. I'm afraid I can't reveal my name, nor the exact whereabouts of Logslow Cemetery. Just know that I exist in your world, yet I live in Nihil, Death's Realm. I have no choice but to continue to walk the earth, undead yet unliving, seeking death more with each passing day.